Welcome to Hospitality Meets, with me, Phil Street, where we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Chris Penn, co-founder of Steel Hotels and the recently opened Birch. Coming up on today's show... Chris makes a wild accusation towards Phil... I've seen the picture in your bedroom, Phil, so you're lying. Phil reminisces over a more youthful time, because I was just all action, all energy. It's all changed now, of course. And we wonder what it was that Phil said that led to this. Shut up. Are you serious? No, you can't do that. All that and so much more as we talk through Chris's story and journey to date, as well as some amazing content on leadership and general mindset. Also, a massive thanks to Chris and the team for giving us a socially distanced tour and a room at Birch to conduct the chat. It really is looking like it will be something very special. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week, so hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a share across your favourite social channels. Let's share those stories as far as we can. We're also proud to be supporting Hospitality Aid 2020. Head over to experience101.co.uk to get involved. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next edition of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today I'm in the esteemed company of someone who I think in some realms will be classified as a legend. He'll uh, probably not thank me for saying that, but um, delighted to welcome to the show, Chris Penn. Thanks, Phil. I'm definitely not a legend. <laughs> not yet. You're on your way. No, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> uh, so maybe if you could kick things off by just giving us a, a, a brief elevator pitch on who you are and what you're currently doing. I am Chris Penn and I am currently in the process of launching the first of our new properties off the back of going out on my own to create my own business in hospitality about three and a half years ago. Yep. We were sadly forced to stop um, with respect to coronavirus and lockdown two weeks before we were due to launch our first property, but we're still here and we're ready to go, which is a fantastic achievement to be able to say off the back of what has been a pretty yeah. treacherous situation for so many people, including many businesses. Um, so, yeah, I feel very privileged to be able to be in the situation talking about opening and other things with everything that's been going on in the world. Yeah, I, I mean, we were talking about this before we turned the microphone on, right, about how, especially in a pre-opening, you need all that kind of energy anyway. And literally on the point of opening, they just pulled the rug and all of that good work, completely, you're just undone, just in that one one moment. So I take my hat off to you for, for still being here and ready to, ready to go again. I yeah, guess. thanks, Phil. Uh, although it's been kind of an extended period of going out on my own, having worked for other people for 22 years and then deciding to, to go and build my own business and having three foundation years of trying to get it going, uh, it's kind of... It's not surprising to me that with that battle of three years that then suddenly even at the last point of opening that we then entered another battle. So right, yeah. it feels like kind of I walk into battles and challenges yeah. with everything I do. And often that's a positive thing, not a, not a negative yeah, thing. Yeah. And often you're just about to get the flag and then something else just comes in and blindsides oh, yeah. you. Oh yeah. Yeah, well, sure. I, I suppose that's life and business, right? That happens. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, let's go all the way back then to the very beginning of your career. I literally, I, I mean, I, 
known about you for quite some time, but I couldn't tell you what you did in your early career. I do try to do my research these days and I couldn't find out much about your early career. So really keen to learn about how you started in hospitality and then just talk us through your roles from there. All the way up to date? Yeah. Okay, so... Um, can, can we do that in 40 minutes? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give you the uh, abridged version, which only lasts um, 37 minutes. Um, uh, so I never wanted to be in hospitality. I am not someone that uh, started off with this passion of, I'm going to be someone that is in hospitality and hotels. Yep. Um, and I always wanted to be a cameraman. So when oh, I was at school, right. doing GCSEs, I thought to myself, that's what I want to do. I want to be a film cameraman. Um, it was my passion. I was, um, I had a newspaper round and I used to earn about kind of eight pounds a week. And I saved up for a year and bought myself a camcorder because I was going to go on this journey of being this incredible um, film cameraman. I was going to travel the world, do those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, then reality smacked me in the face um, because when I started looking at A-level choices and I kind of linked on, I, I don't remember what technology it was in those days, but I was kind of looking at what you need to be a cameraman and the big thing that came up was like the sciences and physics. Right. I was like, oh shit, <laughs> I am absolutely rubbish at the sciences. Right. So that scrapped that. And well, I, that I, interesting though that you need sciences to... Yeah, well to it was all about like kind of the engineering behind a camera. So in, in order to work one, you had to know all of the ins and outs of how it worked. Right. Um, and for me, that was, a, that was a big, yeah, a big realisation, smack in the face, whatever you want to call it. Particularly because I'd just invested a whole year's worth of pocket money yeah. and <laughs> uh, money from wandering around with 150 free newspapers in a bag on every Friday. Yeah, I kind of felt like I'd wasted that a bit. Yeah. So then I was stuck with, I have no idea what I want to do. And it was definitely in an era where everybody expected you to know what you wanted to do with the whole of your life by the time you were 16. So I continued not to know until I was forced as part of our school program to do work experience. So we had to do a structured two-week work experience as part of our sixth form education. Yeah. I had no idea what I wanted to do, so those those are pe those people that were in my situation, they were encouraged to look at a list of pre-vetted businesses that were open to taking um, work experience people. Right. And so I looked down the list and I thought I will choose whichever one I think is the easiest and that I will have the most fun in for two weeks. And so I chose a hotel. That hotel was Hartwell House, which was in Buckinghamshire, which is where I lived at the time. Yeah. And I went in there. It was a weird two weeks in a very, very um, traditional kind of subservient service environment with, I guess, you like a real grandeur and uh, silver service mentality. And I went in there and, and kind of entered in the back of house and realised that everything was just completely chaotic, um, not representative of what the... The, the delivery was front of house and you were just in this place where lots of things were going wrong um, it was a bit disorganised but there were loads of really great people that were trying their best to make customers happy and I found the human side of things just incredible both you know m developing relationships with people to an end of trying to make consumers happy um, I thought that was amazing 
I actually found the chaos um, really enjoyable because I was a very logical person. So right. I have a maths brain, so I'm, I'm, I'm good at kind of placing order to things and creating logic. Maths so, brain, but not science. But not science, no, yep. definitely not. Um, so I, I, I kind of enjoyed the ability to apply logic to a process, and um, that sounds really boring listening to it, but um, I really enjoyed that. And, and this idea of actually you go in, you, you run around, you build relationships, and ultimately you have an impact on whether someone is happy or not, whether that's the person that you work with or the person that you're serving. And I was just astounded by kind of those abilities in something that I thought would be dull, boring, easy. Right. So yep. came out of that and um, I kind of fell in love with service and human interaction, relationships and what I saw as hospitality. But I'll be honest, I, I was very fearful of what I saw as the consumer experience in hotels, which was very, you know, in the lens that I had, it was very um, opulent, pompous, um, kind of mine host mentality. Yeah. And um, off the back of that, um, I think we're at 36 minutes now, Phil, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> off the back of that, where we've got nowhere, um, but it's hopefully been the grounding to... Um, why I'm in the industry. Um, I started working part-time while I continued uh, doing my levels um, and I was, I was waiting in there. I really enjoyed that time and really thankfully when I was deciding whether to go to university or not, um, a guy called George Lee who was the HR manager at um, Hartwell House said, don't go to uni, join us, we'll put you on a training management program. I think you'll be great and we'll teach you everything you need to know about um, hotels hospitality so I was left with that dilemma of do I go to university have fun probably not learn a lot because I was pretty bored of learning in a classroom by then right but do I go and have a great time and kind of continue in my youth I guess or do I grow up and take a job and see if it develops into a career right and so I did, I, I became a training manager with Hartwell House, two year rolling program, worked in every single department, had an amazing time, kind of really felt that I, I got under the skin of every single role that there was in hotels and yeah, never looked back really, apart from the time that I was in the kitchen when I worked with a chef that didn't like me and he, uh, he wouldn't even give me time off to collect my A-level results. Um, I think it was part <laughs> of like a... Uh, a training um, mentality that he had that if a trainee manager was going to be in his kitchen he'd have to put him through his paces and right. you know see if you could crack him I'm not the kind of person that is that easy to crack so I dug in and I carried on but that was the one time where I debated whether I I should have really gone into hospitality but but thereafter I kind of have committed then to kind of growing up in hotels and so I became a, an assistant manager with Hartwell House uh, around the age of 20, 21. There was another hotel in the group that I went to in North Wales and I spent a year there, went back to Hartwell and became the deputy general manager around 24. And I just loved kind of leadership. So I'd kind of, I guess, got a taste for 
being someone that people looked up to or listened to and followed. Yeah. I think a lot of people loved, look up to you though, don't they? Cause, um, yeah, because I'm six foot seven. Yeah. And that's the only reason. Yeah. Um, particularly <laughs> if I'm wearing heels on stage, but that's another thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I haven't even thought of that, actually. No, I was no, probably no. six foot ten then, weren't you? On yeah, yeah, well, I've seen the picture in your bedroom, Phil, so you're lying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, I, uh, I then, I kind of, I got to a point with Hartwell House that I'd been with them for eight years. I'd grown up with them. I felt that I'd learned what I needed to, to learn with them. And then I had another kind of wobble, uh, mid-twenties, where I thought, is this all hotels are? Is this all hospitality is? And then I was fortunate enough to find a hotel in London that was very similar in terms of ethos to the country house hotel world that I'd come from, but was more of a commercial business in a city with a lot of competition. And that was the Stafford and, and that was my first kind of friend to London. Yeah. I went there as a house manager, I think I was, so part of uh, a leadership team of three, uh, worked with some great people, had a great time there. We uh, invested in the property and kind of built 26 new suites while I was there and launched that and really kind of grew up as a leader there and a, as a commercial manager. And after three years, I kind of had a wobble right. and thought, what am I doing in my life? Why am I in hospitality? Is this really what I want to do? But also I'd got married relatively young and my wife and I decided that we wanted to um, travel the world before we had children. So we didn't want to be people in life that would look back on life and say, we wish we had, yep. why don't we, if only we had. So we committed to that end and um, bought tickets um, one weekend to, to travel around the world. And um, that was pretty scary. And then on the Monday, hand in my notice. And then we went traveling for seven months, principally around Australia, New Zealand, um, then through into Asia, Malaysia, and just had the most amazing break. I was pretty. I was a pretty stressed out, ambitious guy when I joined the industry. I've got to be a GM by the time I'm thirty. Uh, I want to be like the best by this time. I, I've got to get this far by this age. Right. And traveling was brilliant for me because I had got to a, a decent and a sub-senior management level in hotels pretty young and I was becoming pretty boring and I was becoming very work-focused, orientated to the point where I was I was maybe losing perspective on life yep. and travelling just gave me that wider perspective that there's more to life than this just, great for that just one, isn't it? yeah, kind of single-minded ambition in business yeah and I actually found that the the rebalancing of that helped me to then get more perspective about what I wanted to do next how I wanted to do it and and then the next steps of my career I feel were really considered good positive steps to make me a far more rounded leader yeah um, so probably the benefit of taking some time to yourself yeah um, I did a, a, I suppose, a similar thing in one of my wobbles. I think wobbles are inevitable, aren't they, as part of a, a yeah. career journey? Question, especially when you start getting a bit of maturity about it and you start questioning 
yourself as much as everything that's happening yeah. around you. I, uh, I went to Australia with uh, my then fiance. She broke up with me three days into that trip. Uh, found myself on the other side of the, the planet. And there was a moment where I suppose, this is when you look at, could have gone one of two ways. I was contemplating turning around and just going back home, go back to the safety net, people that you know. And then thankfully I woke up one morning and went, what an opportunity you've got. You're on the other side of the planet on your own. Let's, you'll never get to do this again. Yeah. So just go and enjoy it. And I, spe- I think actually up until that time, I really, really struggled to not be in the company of other people. Mm. That experience taught me how to enjoy my own company. Yeah. And you know, it's an overused term when you talk about things like that, but really did kind of find myself at that point and felt a lot more serene about decision making mm. and all of these sorts of things that you then take forward with you. Uh, into the next stage of your career and for me it was just about energy the energy that I then bought back into the workplace on the back of that experience nobody could stay with me for you know any any kind of time because I was just all action all energy it's all changed now of course but (laughs) there's a really nice um there's a really nice kind of analogy of kind of how we live our lives in that way of almost like being on the ground in war and kind of fighting all the battles that that come in front of us but only being able to see kind of straightforward and actually finding times to be able to walk up the hill like stop fighting and then look down upon like what's in front of you yeah like to me traveling's that to me kind of every three years i kind of feel like that's forced into me from my mind of like where are you going what are you doing right. why are you doing that um, and I and I, I I as a leader found that once once I'd started forcing myself to do that thing it became a regular thing that I actually adopted in how I ran a business or how I managed teams it was like keep making sure that each week you're kind of stepping back up the hill looking from a far greater perspective of the things that are in front of you, re-establishing whether that is the fight that you want to be kind of continuing on with, but with the ability to see the horizon and so many other things. And kind of sounds a little bit cheesy, but um, traveling was great for that. But it also then started that process in my life of regularly stepping back going, hold on a minute, where are we going? What are we doing? And then adopting it into kind of my work and, um, and, and, and running a business. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it, it, it was incredibly impactful on me. Um, I came back with a renewed sense of what I wanted to do, what I wanted to achieve, but without um, maybe the, the, the stressiness of um, quick, I've got to be there by this time. The noise. Um, and so I joined, I decided, I decided I wanted to join a more corporate business, i.e. a bigger business, a less, I guess, different to nowadays what people would consider as a lifestyle business but a less lifestyle orientated business a less le- leisure based business and a more a more business based business yep. that sounds a bit weird um, and I worked with Kieran Fahey um, who was a great mentor to me at the time um, at the Cavendish in London yep. um, and because I'd never worked for a group a corporate a big company and I think that's that's fantastic but I think what Kieran gave me because he had come through Marriott and he'd come through that very structured Kind of route working with someone that was used to structure even though they weren't within that structured environment at that point gave me such a really good like toolkit of structure process that i could then 
build into whatever I was doing going forward. Um, and although I was in a senior management role, it was great to feel that you were still learning, you're still developing. Um, so that was that was fantastic. Spent three years there. Uh, really? Uh, and then, and then, <laughs> frankly, I just uh, I just was fed up with not being the leader. And right. you know, I loved working with Kieran. I really enjoyed working with many great people in in my career. But I, I wanted to be the person that was the leader of that business and so I wanted to kind of go out and run a place myself and so I joined a family-owned business in Mayfair and I guess I was very fortunate that it wasn't doing very well and um, I I went in it with a very structured ambitious approach um, as hopefully someone that had good talents and skills and yeah, was very fortunate because it wasn't performing that the things that I touched turned to gold and um, we, you know, that business turned around in a couple of years that I was there and was really on a great path and I, I developed a great relationship with those owners and... You weren't, you weren't there for three years? No, I was only there for two, but no. that was because, um, <laughs> that was because at that point um, I, I wasn't looking to, to leave. I was kind of the, the guy that um, you as a recruiter feel... You, you would know this, but there's some people that you call and like they're super sheepish. The fact that you've called them, it feels like they're cheating on their company. Yep. Like, oh my God, should I really be talking to you? And, and all you're saying is, let's chat. You're not offering them a job. Yep. But I was always that, that person. I'm, I'm a very loyal person. So I found it very difficult when someone would call me and go, hey, Chris, I've got this thing. Do you want to chat about it? And I'd be like, oh God. Who's listening? What if they? What if they know now? What if they're listening and they can hear a word that I'm saying that might make them think that I'm looking for another job because I'm not looking for another job. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was called by a a recruiter about this brand that I didn't know called Ace Hotels that wanted to come over to the UK. They were this new kind of hotel. They were over in America. But they wanted someone in the UK that could represent them, their culture, their ethos, and could help them to build a successful first hotel in a deal that they were doing in Shoreditch with Style Capital. Yeah. And yeah, I danced around and said, no, I don't want to talk to them um, because, you know, I'm fine where I am and I've just started making this business um, better yeah you haven't been there three years yet yeah i haven't been there three years yet obviously i live by those rules (laughs) um and uh i went back home that night and said to my wife i got this call today it was about this this strange thing called ace i've had a little look at them and seems like they've got some bunk rooms and they've got some rooms in some of their spaces that don't even have um you know bathrooms and and i kind of like it was it was a kind of strange concept to me in hotels i hadn't seen something like that before yeah um, makes me sound slightly strange but definitely um, not Mayfair no it definitely wasn't the yeah the the eight years in Mayfair that I'd, I'd been in and um and my, my wife was like oh when are you meeting them and I was like well I'm not because I'm not looking for a job and yeah. she's like well but surely you're just going to meet them and just see what it's all about and so she convinced me to change my mind the next day so I called this recruiter and said let's chat one thing led to another. I ended up meeting the founders of Ace. They were the most amazing people. We had coffee 
And it was like, oh, okay, I thought you had interviews because that's all the process that I'd been through prior. And actually I realized that there was this, this kind of group of people that all they wanted to know was like, yeah, the CV's over there, I, I get it. Like I can see your track record, so to speak. But all we want to know is like who you are, what you believe in, you know, what you like as a person. Yeah. And I, I guess I got the job because I believed in similar things to things that they believed in. I, uh, I felt similarly around human beings and experiences as they did. And it's weird, like I'd spent, up until the time with Ace, I'd spent a long, long time in an industry which served people that I couldn't really connect with. I, I connected with them by way of acting because it was my job to. Yep. But I wasn't a rich person that could afford 500 pounds a night to go and have these experiences. And so it was really hard for me to understand the consumer side of the experience when I wasn't that kind of consumer. Right, okay. And yep. opulence and you know subservience and gold-plated silver service was not what I was as a person outside of the industry. And I realized when I joined ACE that actually there was this light at the end of the tunnel for me in terms of what potential there was in hospitality in the fact that they just wanted me to be myself. And actually we were gonna create this product which was the kind of product that my friends might go to. And it was like, wow, that like, isn't this amazing that I always felt that I wouldn't be able to be myself in hotels and that I'd have to be completely, completely different to who I am and, and, and certainly the stuff that I did alongside my industry in endurance and kind of being a competitive amateur in triathlon and long distance things. We'll, we'll talk about we'll, that, don't yeah, we? Sure, um, but, <laughs> but kind of all that stuff always made me feel a bit weird in hotels, like a bit out of place. Right. And yet I'd found this thing where I could use my skills that I'd learned and I could then just forget everything else that I'd learned and just go, just be Chris. Because I'd been Mr. Penn for years, which I hated, because <laughs> I'm not Mr. Penn. And I had the most amazing time with some incredible people in Ace, just yeah, just building this thing in, in East London that, that then became quite well known. That was a really interesting transformational project to take on a workforce in... Uh, a franchised Crown Plaza, so you know, a very structured. Um, apart from the fact that it was a cram- uh, franchise, but a very structured corporate environment. And you walk in, you go, actually, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Why are they doing that? And you realise that there there was kind of a lot of operational inefficiency. There was a, a real lack of productivity, and there was a real cultural issue with that business. Yep. And for me, as someone that had never been in the corporate space, I. I trusted that what corporates did was make everything simple, straightforward and optimised. And so in the process of transforming that both in terms of the business, the building, the culture, the people, the product, I learned a huge amount but also, and more importantly, I got the confidence in myself that by being Chris actually added to my leadership. I also, just before this, had um, done a, a course at Cranfield where they kind of they, they knock you apart and try and rebuild you. And kind of those two things made me feel that Chris was an important 
part of me to bring out in order to be a true emotionally intelligent leader and to be able to, I guess, take things to the next stage in my career. And Alex and, and kind of how he built hotels, which was not upon kind of a foundation of being a hotelier, whatever that means, um, but actually just someone that, that, that went, well, I'm, I'm pretty good at bringing people together when I just do that. Yeah. And if I find great people and work with great people, then they'll find great people, work with great people, find great people, work with great people. And all we need to do is just be ourselves. And that ethos was just so inspiring and impactful on me that then um, we continued to, to build on the success of London. We started looking at European opportunities, um, had a great time with those guys. But obviously, after about three years, um, I started to think um, I need to do something else. But at that stage, I didn't, I didn't change. I just decided to swim the channel um, because that's what you do in those situations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's what everybody does. Yeah, m most people. Um, How did that come about then? Uh, that, that, that's, uh, that's because in my mind, there is a desire to challenge impossible and to do things that... I guess really, really make me test how far my mind can take me. Right. Um, it's slightly deep, but... Um, oh, I, f I find this side of things really, really interesting because it's actually, I mean, psychology rules so much. Yeah, it does, yeah. Um, I actually have a, a, uh, another mate called Chris. Uh, I'm beginning to think that you have to be called Chris to have this kind, this uh, mindset that you're talking about, but uh, he was an ultra marathon runner, and basically craved doing difficult things, yeah. things that tested exactly what you said. Your brain, initially, maybe your brain says you can't do this. Yeah. So something in your brain tells you, great, I'm going to give it a go then. Yeah. Basically. So yeah, I need to change my name to Chris. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, th I think you'd suit Chris actually. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, um, when I joined the industry, going back to the, the start of the, the story um, 38 minutes ago, I didn't want to ever be a hotelier. So as I kind of said, I kind of feared a little bit what the world was that I was going into, albeit I loved the job itself and what it entailed and kind of the human interactions and ultimately then the business opportunity that there was in hotels. Yeah. But... I hated what a hotelier was or what I perceived a hotelier to be and I never wanted to be that. I always wanted to ultimately be Chris, albeit I hid that for quite some time in a in a career. But the thing that levelled me was, you know, when I was growing up I was a, a kind of very active sports person and I joined an industry where initially I was working a lot of weekends and so team sport was very hard to continue. So I found triathlon just through chance because I was trying to find some more sport to do that would keep me sane but also make me continue to be Chris while I was in an industry where I was Mr. Penn but I couldn't do team sport so triathlon worked because it was like you train whenever you want I could train around shifts yep. and then when I was competing I was just competing as myself so my result was of no impact on anybody else at all mm. and the first triathlon I did I only did a kind of little tri triathlon sprint one uh, with no expectations. I mean, I got out the swim and I got a towel and started drying my back and everyone was laughing at me. 
because I didn't really know what a triathlon was. Um, and then I got on my BMX or whatever it was and started riding around this course. And But but there was this buzz that I got from doing it. I don't know what where that buzz came from, but it just felt so absolutely amazing. Um, the feeling of crossing the line that then I became addicted. Um, and I, I thought I was addicted to triathlon, but I realised over time that what I was addicted to was uh, addicted is a bad word, so yeah, I have to be careful of my use of it because I, I mean it far more loosely than, than real addiction. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah uh, sure. Apologies. But um, I, be- I, I realized I was addicted to this kind of pursuit of something, this challenge of impossible, this, I could never do that. Oh, I can. So why don't I go a bit further? I could never do that. Oh, I can. Why don't I go a bit further? And so I started doing Olympic distance triathlon. Then I found that I qualified for the World Championships a couple of years after I started doing triathlon. Really? In my age group, so as an amateur. Yeah. And I ended up going to New Zealand and competing um, there. And, and that was amazing. Met some great people. But then it was like, okay, why don't I go a bit further? Um, and I started doing half Ironman at that time. Why don't I go a bit further? I started marathon running doing Ironman and at that point so my first Ironman was in 2006 and Ironman was still a small brand relatively unknown and so if you said to someone I've done an Ironman they'd be like what's that right and then you would tell them and they'd go shut up are you serious no you can't do that and it felt it felt quite special that you were someone that could do things that some people would think was impossible. Yeah, probably most also, people, actually. Well, maybe. Um, yeah. Although it is a it is a phenomenally um, big sport nowadays that thousands yeah. and thousands and thousands of people do every year. Um, but what I found is in every time I grew endurance, I learned more about my mind. So I realized that the addiction was not so much the competing and the the achieving the goal it was also the process that I went through of learning about myself and learning that your mind is so in control of your outputs physically emotionally um, in life that the more that you understand it the more that you can kind of start to control it the more that you can then do more have more fun be happier and yeah, I guess ultimately achieve more in your life. Yeah. So I can relate to that actually in a much lower sense. I did the um, oh, I can't remember what they call it, but it was a charity run around Hyde Park, Serpentine, and then up to Hilton. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So Fred um, Sirix was um, he used to do that. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So uh, did the the run around Serpentine quite nicely. Hadn't trained for step running. Uh, got I think maybe about six floors up. And then the, the brain kicked mm. in. And I was the things that were going through my brain were, were so irrational. Like, there's nobody near you. Why don't you just pop out at this level and jump in the, in the lift yeah, and yeah. go all the way to the yeah, top? Yeah. And then you have this, these, these battles with yourself. Yeah. Like, no, it's like the two, two devils yeah. on your shoulder t- uh, type of thing. You know? yeah. What's that going to achieve? Yeah. You know, you'll look back and you'll just want to smash yourself in the face for yeah. failing yourself. <laughs> Uh, basically, so it's a much, uh, I suppose, much lower level of what what you're doing. But I suppose its its relevance is that 
everybody has their own individual limits. Yeah. And then you've, it's up to you to push that and then push to the next level. Yeah. And then push again, yeah. uh, and so on and so forth. And and so I, I kind of get your point about if you can learn that and learn that your brain will have these conversations with yourself in moments of adversity. But and it's natural. Yeah. And it's okay. Yeah. Um, and you can challenge it. Yeah. 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 And then you know I'm glad that I didn't do that, and I did yeah. complete it. I was yeah. ruined at the top. Yeah. But you then, you know, 10 minutes later, you've got this euphoria yeah. about the fact that you pushed through the adversity. And, yeah. You know, and you, you can look back and, and kind of be a little bit proud. Yeah. I haven't swum the channel yet. Yeah, but the, the, the I'll maybe be, do that next time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, but, but I guess, I guess there's that. So there was a continuous desire to learn more about the, the workings of the mind. Um, I was fascinated by it, but also, as I say, the impact that it has on our lives. Hard performance, soft performance, um, soft performance being happiness, getting out of bed in the morning and being able to get up, but also hard performance, PBs, finishing a race, all those kinds of things. Yeah. You know, achieving a better level of performance in business, you know, those kinds of things. But what I, what I found was also while I was growing my level of understanding over here, it, it helped me to become a better leader because my level of emotional intelligence was increasing because of my understanding of my own mind and my own emotions. I was able to then understand others better. Therefore, I was able to build better relationships with people. Therefore, I was able to, I guess, um, become closer to the people that that I worked with and hopefully become a, a better, more rounded, more personable leader, particularly as I was becoming Chris rather than, you know, this nonsense dressed up kind of Mr. Penn um, yeah. that, that I definitely wasn't. But the other thing that, that I guess was challenging me and why I wanted to swim the channel was also that I kind of like doing things that are really like are really rare and Iron Man used to feel that way and then and then kind of you go through a few years and then it's like oh 2,000 people have just done Iron Man Wales and then there's this and then there's this and you're like oh man I'm only kind of one of x thousands now that do it all the time mm. and so maybe it's a dangerous thing to have in my mind but then I kind of look for things that then go well how can I learn more test myself more, challenge the impossible, but also do things that are even rarer so that when I finished, I internally get an even greater sense of achievement. And when I looked at how many people had solos on the channel, it just, number one, it seemed impossible. I hated the cold. I couldn't swim. Uh, well, I wasn't a great swimmer. <laughs> I was an all right swimmer, but um, yeah, you couldn't do it in a wetsuit. You know, people died from it. Um, it was like, I've got to have a go at that because it really scares the shit out of me. Yeah. So let's have a go. There's lots of reasons telling you not to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, which I guess um, there's always that worry when you have this thing in your mind that wants you to put yourself in those situations that you hope it, ne it doesn't become catastrophic um, in terms of your life. But I guess through the learning that I've had through endurance, uh, I kind of trust my mind because I understand it. Yeah. Um, sometimes I, sometimes I have wobbles and I, um, I lose control of my thoughts, but, um, 
but yeah, I, I guess it's helped me to go from when I was a kid, I used to think I was a bit weird because I always had loads of things that were going on in my head. I used to be like, oh, just shut up. Like, come on, like, can't I, can't... I just focus on this or focus on this or focus on this? And then over time I've gone, this is amazing that I've got this thing that wants to keep talking to me because I understand it. I've kind of become friends with it, even though I hate it sometimes. Yeah. And actually together we can create some brilliant, brilliant things that I never thought I'd be able to do. And then off the back of all of that, then all of that gave me the confidence, the ace mentality, working with incredible people there, kind of the confidence that Alex, Brad, Kelly, those guys kind of gave me and just being myself that we could take on this building, we could transform it, we could build a business that people would start to talk about, you know, that culture was important, that people were important and that, you know, also then you can when you have ambition and you have drive and you understand yourself and you trust yourself that you can achieve things. I then went, right, now I need to do something myself. I need to I need to not be the person that then sits in my rocking chair and goes, Oh well, I could have done, I could have done, I should have done. If only if only the wind hadn't been there, if only I hadn't had that knee problem, I would have been a professional footballer. Oh yeah. I still want to be that person. <laughs> yeah. Um and as I said before, so I then had got to the point where I trusted that if I went out on my own, although I didn't have money, you know, to invest in assets or, or anything, I had enough of a network, enough of a, enough relationships, enough of a I guess a, a good background of people that would, you know, say good things about me, um, because I've always been, you know, very considerate of the people around me as I've as I've grown up through the industry, and I just thought, well. Let's be the let, let's let's say well, why is it that you've been in an industry which has so much potential, but sometimes just limits itself by being very traditional and saying well we can't do that because of this we can't do that because of this. Why don't you, you know, you've learned so much about endurance and sport and fitness and health and wellness and life and culture and lifestyle with the Ace guys. Why don't you? Do something that takes all of those things that you understand that you've been living for years and years around mental health physical health well-being fitness endurance emotion um, character culture and build a business that is founded upon that and so yeah I, I jumped out of formal employment again into a place which I was shit scared of with only a little bit of savings three and a half years ago and yeah. I'm pleased to say that I'm now sat in front of you and, I'm, and we're still alive still surviving and hopefully in four and a half weeks time opening our doors to something that is beautiful and hopefully people will really enjoy yeah well I, we, we were very kind enough to give me a tour of, of Birch before we had this chat and um, I can definitely c- kind of vouch for although obviously you've still got a few fixtures and fittings to put in as any new opening would. It is definitely... Just for the audience, I am slipping Phil £20 on top of the table. Um, Thanks, If Marcus. I put another 20 will you say even nicer things about oh, it? Oh, go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so another £20 oh, is passing over the table. That's Carry on, Phil. pays for my petrol. Um, yeah, it's clear that you're building something a bit different here that doesn't... I mean, there are lots of 
hotels in and around sort of you know the M25 cusp all the way around London, all trying to achieve different things. It seems to me like you are trying to achieve something different again, and even you can see it in in some of the spaces. You're you're trying things, you're innovating, you're coming up with new ideas that don't exist anywhere else, and that's that's really appealing. I think just from a, a real hard consumer perspective that's got to i think carry interest for mm. for people and especially I, i'm also guessing on the back of the pandemic that we've just been through there's going to be a lot of people in the city who are going to actually want to look after themselves a little bit better mm. retreat yeah. a bit more uh, get a, get away from you know the hustle bustle of the city i think one of the biggest things now is going to be outdoor space You've got everything here that anybody could want to achieve that, and probably more yet to come. Mm. Uh, that's that's the thing. So yeah, that's the sales pitch for for Chris. Um, yeah, appreciate that. <laughs> um, and you can have your free stay now. Uh, yeah, look, uh, we we always so we've built two brands: Birch, which is now coming to market; Steel, which is still kind of trying to find sites, um, and we've had. You know the the normal challenges of real estate acquisition in yep. in steel, where you know we wanted to start in cities um, to become big part of um, performance networks and um, wellness programs, and there's huge opportunity in that space with with steel and and steel will come off, but it's just real estate prices and and the buoyancy of the the real estate market, particularly in cities, that's that's been the um, the knife in the side of getting steel transactions over the line, but always the the intention with the the two products that we've created are to to be part of people's lives in a much more integral way than you ever would have ever expected hotels to be but to actually build things that could improve people's lives still more kind of proactively more scientifically um, in terms of specific mental and physical wellness performance but birch more holistically in a more balanced way, in, in potentially a softer way, um, but still to be something that when people walk into it, it removes the shackles from their life, it removes those stresses, removes those strains, and people kind of, we, 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 it's not part of our branding, it's not, it's not kind of what we say, but kind of this idea of if someone came here for a weekend, wouldn't it be amazing if they left feeling like they'd stayed there for a week? And it almost like you could you could create a product that gave people time, yeah. Because time is the thing that those people, many many people now that are rushing through their lives, it's the one thing that we always feel we don't have enough of. Accepting that money is often the first, but I'm saying that time is the more precious. I think for for humans, and so even before this. Birch and the opportunity that there there is and we feel that there is to, to be able to give people time back to be able to remove them from the pressures, the strains, the deadlines, the the noise, the the frustration of kind of a wider life. The pandemic has only exacerbated kind of and maybe maybe reinforced the agenda on actually how maybe removed people are from what was important in life. And I think this, 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 this pandemic has kind of forced people's importance of actually it's about staying alive, being a parent, being a husband or a, um, a partner, 
being a friend, looking after loved ones, looking after people around you, you know, looking out for people in your community if they're vulnerable. And I think all of those things were what we wanted to remind people of in in our own way, but in a positive way without, without preaching. And it feels like hopefully for some people, the time that they will have taken, those that that haven't suffered kind of serious health implications, which many, many people have. Um, and there've been some devastating things obviously with deaths um, yeah. in the world, but hopefully for some people it has given them a sense of reconnection to the world, the people around them. And then, and then hopefully, I guess, to your point with what we're doing, hopefully it's just, a, I guess when people go back to some level of normality, hopefully we can just be a, a reconnection of those things of coming together, taking time, finding space, you know, reminding each other of the importance of each other and, and um, building friendships and um, yeah. that kind of stuff. Reconnection to disconnection. Yeah, yeah exactly. Write the marketing yeah, yeah, no, as well. That's great. We'll so. definitely put it on the website. <laughs> Walking around and having a chat with you th- around the property, it was the the one main thing for me was about this kind of non rigidity to the space, as well as that you can kind of come here like it's a like it's your home, like proper hospitality, and if you want to have a coffee over there, go and have a coffee over there. Uh, if you want to take a you know a barbecue pack over there, go and do it over there. Whatever you kind of want, probably don't take a barbecue pack into your room and do a barbecue there. That's probably not not what hospitality is about. But and that really kind of I think rings a, a bell with a hospitality bell with me because I think a lot of the time hotels are very rigid mm-hmm. that you can only do this in that space. You can only do that in this space. We were talking about dogs before as well. And the fact that, that we we take our dog all over the country, um, and you go to dog-friendly places. I just did uh, inverted commas, by the way, with uh, with my hands. And they say, "Oh yeah, you can come in and have a meal, but you've got to go and sit in those two seats over there on the hard floor um, and all of that." And that's that's the end of it. Whereas you guys really are, you know, you're you're open to kind of anything, and I mean that. Uh, you caveated, of course. Yeah, you caveated it, not me. Yeah, so. that's true. That's that's true. Yeah, so I I think you're you're definitely on to something with that. Uh, just from a, a pure consumering perspective. Thank you. Conscious of time now. Probably need to start wrapping this up. I I suppose I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about your your brain, really, because you you you've said you're kind of a hundred ideas a minute type type person, but you also carry logic to that to me is i think in leadership is a is a really wonderful trait to have because you're you're not going to be rigid to a certain way of doing things your brain is open to discussion but you can apply the logic to then figuring out the problem uh, as well i think logic is a very you, you said it was boring all the way back at the beginning of this conversation but i think logic is a really underrated skill mm. in business um, and there's a lot of problems out there that can be solved with a bit of logic and then add creativity into there and you I suppose the world's your oyster yeah I, t- I totally agree with you I know that's not um, going to give you much of a, an extensive answer but um, I, I couldn't agree more I think logic is something which is able to kind of take a kind of smoky situation and apply it into some kind of 
function formality that then leads to something and uh, yeah I although I called it boring and dull um, or whatever I called it I absolutely love being able to take things that are a little bit grey and make them more structured but not in a boring way yep. because by having the the creative side of my mind I'm, I'm still able to make it fun and exciting even if the procedural side of it may, side of things may seem a little boring yeah but yeah I think I think it's something that with with everything that um, that I have three three kids and you, you think about what you know next next 10 years might be like next 20 years might be like and it's, it's obviously very hard at the moment with everything that's going on but I personally feel that logic is super important as a function of their development, um, particularly with respect to technology, because technology is essentially big um, algorithms based on logic, and um, and therefore it, it's a really important skill to have, even in how to use technology. But also, I think an incredibly important skill for kids to have outside of that. And I know you didn't ask the question, but I'm going to I'm going to add it in anyway. Yeah, is human connection. Um, and one of my worries at the moment is, is just the the distance that is being placed between people, um, and I don't mean physically. I just mean how how distanced kind of and, and isolated people have become. The longer that that continues, the more impactful that's going to be on kids in terms of their social development. And if technology is there, and then we we have kind of like encouraged kids to learn through technology and to engage through technology. I just hope that from a societal perspective and from a, a kind of human perspective that those kids don't spend so long doing that that they find it really hard then to reconnect as human beings. Um, so yes, logic is super important, but I feel that a big thing that we've all got to do is also remember to be human and build relationships and of course do it safely but yeah find a way to to re-engage ourselves as human beings yeah yeah, and yeah. That, that, that's not changed yeah in my mind regardless of what's going on no i i agree okay um i can't finish this chat without talking about pantomime oh yeah sorry about that because obviously you've played quite a big part in, in the hospitality pantomime. When you say a big part, you mean a six foot seven part. That, that's, that's exactly what I meant, yeah. How did that, we've talked about how it, come, it came about, but how, how, tell the wider audience, how did that come about uh, as an idea? Because I know that you were kind of what, nearly the brains behind that, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, uh, so the reality is, and I've kind of alluded to it through our conversation, but there's a lot of pomp and circumstance that I'm just not into. Um, there's a lot of hierarchy that I'm just not into. There's a lot of Mr. Mrs. Lord Lady that I'm just not into. Yeah. And in the industry, we have an incredible depth of talent across hospitality that could come up through the ranks, but they don't get to see things that maybe people in management leadership positions get to see because they're not there yet or um, it's the preserve of the elite or it's just for Mr and Mrs and frankly I personally think that 
Um, that's nonsense when our industry is founded upon service and connection and humanity and all those wonderful things that I think needs to come back into hospitality to enable it to be successful in the future, yep. regardless of technology and the opportunities that technology afford. So with that in mind, I was fed up with going to black tie dinners. I find every time I go to a black tie dinner, I, uh, I don't necessarily want to drink on a Tuesday night or a Thursday night, yet the first thing you get is champagne. You dress up, you're uncomfortable, you kind of, you're on a tube and everyone's looking at you, kind of judging you. Um, then you get to the venue and it's very formal. Um, and then we sit down and I get bellyache. Right. Um, and it's, it's incredibly well-considered food. It's, it's been beautifully prepared, but it still gives me bellyache. And it's, um, it, I, I, I don't react well to, to rich food. But kind of when I think back to some, sometimes those forced situations, I feel that that's not really what the people that I see coming into the industry will necessarily be inspired by. That's not necessarily the role models that I think they will look up to. And how can we create an industry which is more inclusive of all those people and many others that doesn't take itself so seriously, that doesn't let formality and hierarchy get in the way of really good conversation and really good interaction? And is there a way that we could create events that showcase that and so I thought a pantomime would be an amazing way of allowing people that might normally be inaccessible or could potentially be inaccessible to literally work with people that you know would have maybe feared even having a conversation with them if it was in an industry event yeah bring them all together for the purposes of making people laugh have a good time and by doing so, have a great time together, build great relationships, and then hopefully at the end of it, you've got thousands of people that have had loads of fun, have realised that hospitality is not about subservience, formality, and structure, and opulence. Actually, it's about human beings trying to make human beings happy. And that's where it came from. Yeah. And I've enjoyed being a part of it. And, um, yeah. Hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, yeah. No, no, absolutely. I think it's, um, it's just a, an immensely wonderful thing. And I, I hope that it endures through this. Mm. Uh, my anticipation is, is that perhaps next year it, it won't be on, but, but hopefully yeah. beyond that, let's see. But um, it's, it's, The slapstick's going to be quite hard with two metre distancing on stage, I would imagine. <laughs> but yeah. you could throw custard pies or is that acceptable not acceptable I think that's always acceptable isn't as it? long as maybe you change the pies between throwings yeah um, yeah who knows yeah well, that's just another logical problem to be solved exactly <laughs> uh, one final question for you and then I promise you I'll let you go if somebody is listening to this is considering uh, coming into hospitality as a career what would you say to them wow uh, what would you say to them um, I would probably use expletives but I'm not going to um, <laughs> you can if you wish if it no helps, no if it no helps. just um uh, look, don't judge a book by its cover. So if you're thinking of coming into hospitality, hopefully you haven't anyway. But don't think, you know, I hope that by sharing and, you know, the other people in the industry that continue to share, I hope that we're, re we're, we're showcasing an industry now that is much more relevant to an audience that might want to come in. Yep. 
I came into an industry that thought that the best way to attract talent was to tell them how fucking hard it was to work there and how many fucking hours you had to work really? to be in the industry. As yeah. if that would be a great advertisement I know for people insane, to join. Isn't it? You can join, but you'll never achieve what you want. And you'll have to work from the ground up. And you'll have to work 15 hours a day. And if you can do that, lad then you might be successful. <laughs> Hopefully all that's gone. Yeah. And that actually the fact that that person is saying, I want to go in the industry, they realize it's an incredible industry where you can move really quickly if you have the right attributes, where you can meet incredible people, where you can travel, where you can make friendships, and where if you're lucky and you find the right employers, the right businesses, the right brands, or indeed build it yourself, you can basically build things with friends which is what hospitality should feel like it should feel like a load of mates building the most incredible house party or dinner party for friends that want to come in yeah and that's pretty special to be able to make that your line of work yeah so go for it absolutely yeah i mean i think that that uh, comes back to one of the points you made earlier on is is find your identity with it as well you might not get that straight away you might be in that kitchen where they're telling you to work for 15 hours and maybe you don't feel an immediate connection but sometimes perseverance is you know the, the thing that you're craving is on the other side of it uh, and your story for me has just kind of been an indication as to that that you wouldn't necessarily find your perfect identity with it immediately but it is out there somewhere in this industry there are so many different types of hospitality you've just got to jump on in and you know, mix it up and find the one that really sings to you. And if it doesn't exist, go and make it yourself. Yeah, too right. Yeah. Great. Well, look, it's been a, an absolute pleasure to have a chat with you today. I've really appreciated the time that you've managed to cram a 40 minute conversation into an hour and three. So well done. Brilliant. Yeah. That's excellent. <laughs> yeah. Um, if people want. But is that the record? Absolutely not. No. Oh, no, no. Do you want to carry on? Yeah, well. I knew it would be impossible to get that record. <laughs> um, if people want to reach out to you and kind of learn a little bit about what you're doing at the moment and learn more about yeah. lunch, what's, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, email me. Um, best email address is chris.pen at birchcommunity.com. But I am not on social. I, am, I tend to be very private uh, in kind of my general life so I'm not on Instagram Facebook or, or as I call them Insta Spam and Falsebook um, <laughs> so um, you're probably best otherwise to find me on LinkedIn I don't know what my LinkedIn number is but have a look for it's Chris probably Penn. got your name involved and if you if you just reach out and say hey I'd like to connect most of the time unless you're trying to sell me something I will connect and yeah. I'm more than happy to chat and meet up and say hi and yeah please do reach out if you want to great stuff Chris, thank you very much. Cheers. It's been a pleasure to chat. Thank you. We'll speak soon. Thank you. Cheers. And there we have it. Some fantastic insight from Chris throughout, demonstrating what's possible when you keep pushing yourself beyond your perceived limits. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week, so hit that subscribe button and leave us a five-star written review. It really does make a massive difference. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>